Hello, and welcome to the Personal Injury Law Podcast. My name is Jonathan Rosenfeld, an attorney at Rosenfeld Injury Lawyers, LLC. This podcast is here to break down the barriers when it comes to the world of personal injury law. Each podcast will go into detail about a specific legal issue or type of personal injury case, from everyday occurrences to the esoteric. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. For more information, visit my website at rosenfeldinjurylawyers.com. Hi, um, my name is Jonathan Rosenfeld. I am an attorney and I am here today with my good friend, colleague, and uh, what else? Respected uh, uh, co-counsel on a lot of these cases, Marty Gould. Uh, and today we are gonna talk a little bit about a, uh, a really disturbing news story that's come up involving sexual abuse claims involving the University of Michigan and a doctor who was employed at the University of Michigan for uh, decades, um, Robert Anderson, MD. And these are, you know, news stories which really have been making the tabloids uh, in the Michigan area. Um, but, you know, they're really, they're really, uh, can translate to, to other jurisdictions as well. And uh, Marty handles uh, a lot of different sexual abuse cases across the country in different contexts. But today I wanna sort of get an update from Marty as to the status of these cases. And before we even get to that, uh, I'm gonna let Marty introduce himself and sort of give a little bit of background about these particular cases because, um, if, if, whether you've heard about this or not, um, I think Marty does a great job sort of giving the, uh, the relevant background because these are really, really disturbing situations. Um, and, and when we look at them in a, the context that they are in, um, this went on for decades, just right under the, the university's nose. So uh, Marty, could you just share with us a little bit about the Robert Anderson situation and, um, you know, really help the audience get some grasp as to what happened uh, in this situation. Well, I'm of counsel with Rosenfeld Injury Lawyers. We handle sexual abuse cases all across the country. Many, we represent many, many uh, survivors of physician abuse. And, you know, this one is particularly disturbing case involves Dr. Robert Anderson. For nearly 50 years, uh, Dr. Anderson was in charge of the medical care for the University of Michigan College athletes. He also was in charge of medical care for many of the University of Michigan student, uh, other students at the Student Health Center. He retired in uh, 2003 and he passed away in 2008. Uh, recently, there's been a number of lawsuits filed in state and federal court in Michigan alleging uh, abuse by this physician. Uh, for decades, he was performing unnecessary medical exams, uh, hernia exams, prostate exams, and groping, fondling, and grabbing uh, students' genitals, penetrating students, forcing students to uh, touch his genitals. 
and there's a, a, a whole litany of other allegations made against them. Hundreds have, of people have come forward. The University of Michigan set up a hotline for survivors to file complaints, and they had over 250 complaints against Dr. Anderson. Um, this was so well known for so long that Michigan athletes actually had a nickname for him called Dr. Drop Your Drawers and Dr. Glove. There's reports that uh, other administrators or, or supervisors knew about it. Um, so it's just a very, very traumatic, unfortunate situation. Um, and because he wasn't stopped earlier, uh, hundreds of other uh, student athletes and students were, were abused by this person and have all sorts of psychological injuries as a result. Now, one of the situations that comes up in a lot of childhood sexual abuse cases is um, what happens in a situation such as this, where uh, Dr. Anderson died, I, I believe in, in 2008 or so, um, but how do I bring a case against an individual who may be deceased? You know, a lot of times um, childhood sexual abuse survivors may be hesitant to, to bring a case because the, the perpetrator, uh, you know, may be, uh, may be serving time in jail or they may be uh, deceased. Um, can you explain a little bit about how that works in a situation such as this, where Dr. Anderson is, is no longer with us? Um, what that involves uh, in terms of a victim um, pursuing a claim? In many of our cases, the offender is, is deceased. Uh, and we're still able to pursue cases and receive substantial compensation for clients. Uh, and there's various ways you can go about proving your case. You know, for one, uh, the testimony of your client uh, is evidence. Uh, but in those cases that we do pursue, you know, it's difficult to pursue a case against the offender. You have to pursue the estate for the offender. In many cases, they don't have substantial assets, uh, but you can still sue the institution for their own uh, failures and for their, for their own culpability in failing to prevent the abuse, uh, failing to investigate it, failing to, to take necessary precautions to make sure students and children are protected. And in those cases, you know, there's any evidence regarding reports made to the institution is evidence in the case. Um, so if you know, we're able to find out if there was other reports from other students in this circumstance, Dr. Anderson, uh, Roger Stone actually stated that he had made reports or, and he was aware of supervisors that were aware of Dr. Anderson decades ago. Okay, that's evidence in a case like this. That's evidence against the university um, where we would argue that, well, you know, at that point in time where, where reports were made, more should have been done to supervise Dr. Anderson and to make sure uh, students were, it, were being treated in a safe environment. So the ways in which you go about the evidence is, is through testimony of other witnesses and any documentation that you can find, emails, letters. Uh, and that's, that's typically primarily how you go about establishing these cases. In a situation like this, where this took place, you know, 
at the University of Michigan, a, a very, very well-respected, you know, institution. Um, the cases are now actually, you know, as you mentioned, they're now actually proceeding against the University of Michigan. Um, as a victim, what type of damages can a victim pursue in a uh, sexual abuse claim against the university? Um, you know, we in you know other types of personal injury cases that we handle. Um, you know, we talk about specials. You know, we look at their medical bills. We look at the amount of time that they may have lost from work. Um, we look at a lot of hard economic damages. Um, in a childhood sexual abuse situation, um, we may not have those tangible economic damages, and the case may be primarily composed of um, non-economic damages, um, pain and suffering, uh, loss of normal life, um, disability even. Um, I want to talk with you a little bit about how the damages in these cases may play out for a potential victim. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? You know, in the, in the Dr. Anderson cases, uh, the University of Michigan has filed motions to dismiss the claims, but with those, they've also acknowledged uh, the abuse that has occurred. They're not disputing really that, that Dr. Anderson was abusing students and children. Uh, and they're working to set up a claims process. So in the claims process, how would we go about establishing somebody's injuries from these situations? There's acknowledgement through research, uh, through state governments, even the federal government, that, of the fact that uh, sexual abuse causes serious psychological traumas. It causes all sorts of injuries, such as post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, anxiety, inability to sleep, inability to eat, trust problems, um, you know, inability to be intimate in some, some circumstances. We go about establishing how it's impacted somebody through the testimony of the survivor, through testimony from their loved ones, family members, uh, significant others, spouses, even friends, in some cases employers. It's totally up to the survivor to regarding who they think would assist in providing that testimony. Medical records, many of our clients have counseling that they've uh, had to go through throughout their lives. Some of them had to be institutionalized because of psychological breakdowns or suicide attempts. Um, some of them have never had counseling up until just now. You know, they didn't wanna tell anybody and they just started getting counseling. Those records can be introduced into the case. And uh, through all of that, we help build a, a picture for the claims handlers, the insurance companies, the defendants to explain to them how this abuse has impacted our client. And it can, it, it can impact them through, you know, financially, whether it's through psychological uh, treatment that they have to pay for, medical bills that they were admitted for, you know, suicide or uh, other serious psychological injuries financially has it impacted their ability to work in any way to respond to supervisors to work on a team and then non-economic ways um, just the, the emotional trauma the pain and suffering and in these cases you can also get punitive damages uh, the courts can't award you punitive damages 
if there's evidence uh, that meets that requirement. And, and that's additional compensation you can receive and it's meant to deter future conduct. It's to send a message to the institution that they should have done things differently. And had they done things differently, uh, students and children wouldn't have been abused. And, they and this punitive damages um, is a message to them saying they got to change the way in which they do business. Now, you know, there's no way that you and I can sit here and predict how these cases will shake out. But I just want to point out that, you know, unfortunately, there have been some other uh, situations similar to this involving colleges and universities. Um, you know, obviously, in the past couple of years, um, there's been a settlement involving Larry Nasser at Michigan State University, uh, and that involved a, a $500 million settlement for 332 people. Uh, there was a settlement involving the University of South Cal Southern California uh, for 215 million people involving George Tyndall. Um, that happened in 2020. Uh, everyone knows about Jerry Sandusky at Penn State. Uh, and in that situation, the university paid out $109 million. Um, Ohio State has paid out $45 million um, to 185 victims involving Richard Strauss, another sports doctor. So, you know, I think the bottom line is these cases do have substantial value. Um, obviously, you know, it, a lot of it's going to be dependent on the, the situation involving the individual and how their attorney relays that information and helps convey those damages um, to the decision makers in the case, whether it's a, a judge or a jury or a mediator. Um, but before you even get to the damages, um, can we talk a little bit about how uh, the statute of limitations applies to a situation like this? And um, the statute of limitations is basically a time for bringing a legal claim that is set forth by the state uh, legislature, which says, hey, you have X amount of time to, to file a lawsuit or resolve a case. Uh, typically, if you fail to do so within that statute of limitations, you will be barred from collecting a penny. Um, in this particular situation involving Robert Anderson, um, can you share with us a little bit about how uh, a statute of limitations would apply? And, and I don't expect you to uh, necessarily say, you know, with absolute specifics, but if you could generally lay forth uh, how the statute of limitations would apply to this particular context, that'd be great. Sure. Well, earlier you mentioned all these other uh, cases where they had physicians that abused many students. Uh, and you were talking about numbers like 332 survivors uh, in the case against Larry Nasser at uh, Michigan State. Um, hundreds, 185 at Ohio State University, hundreds of others in University of Southern California. You know, when you have those type of numbers of students that were abused, there was red flag after red flag that was ignored or concealed. And that's why uh, in these cases, 
there ends up being settlements because once you get down to the evidence, uh, you don't have physicians or anybody, teachers or religious leaders that can abuse that many people without others seeing something. Um, and, and that's why these cases are so significant. Now, in terms of the statute of limitations, it, there's a lot of variables involved. The age of the person, when the abuse occurred. So that's why it's very important for a survivor to immediately speak with a lawyer who can explain to them what the potential statute of limitations is. You know, in many of these cases involving University of Michigan student athletes, uh, there's an argument by the university saying that the statute of limitations has expired. You know, depending on the time period in which the abuse occurred, uh, it may actually be the case, uh, depending on the facts and the time and the circumstances. But because of the outrage regarding what happened, there's bills that are being proposed in the state of Michigan seeking to change some of the laws, seeking to create a window to which survivors can file claims against the University of Michigan and any, anybody else, such as public officials, that are responsible for what happened. Uh, so it's important to understand what those potential laws are. You know, in the Larry Nasser situation, in many of those cases, the statute of limitations had expired and the state of Michigan did the same thing. They created a window for survivors to file claims. So that's why it's important to speak with a lawyer to find out uh, even if perhaps somebody had told you the statute of limitations expired in your case, is there a chance that there may be a viable case in the near future? Uh, and to keep tabs on, on any legislation in Michigan or really any state in which you are abused and there may be an issue with the statute of limitations. So really these cases are, are very, you know, case specific and situation specific. Um, I, I think the, the ultimate uh, the message to people, I, I guess, would be if you are sitting at home and sitting on the sidelines and watching this, this whole situation unravel and you are a victim, I, I guess the bottom line is now is the time to, to move forward and, and really and contact an attorney and sort of um, get your claim on file um, while that window of opportunity may be open, correct? Now is the time, you know, now is always the time to, at the very least, even if you are, don't want to pursue a case, speak with a lawyer to find out what your rights are, what deadlines are coming up, uh, what your options are. You know, you don't have to file a claim. And while I would encourage everyone to do so, and you can do so confidentially if, if you have concerns, uh, know your rights. Um, Marty, you know, I really appreciate you explaining the situation with me today. Um, as someone who has worked with you, I really admire your dedication to the clients. Uh, you know, you certainly are someone who is really willing to roll up their sleeves and really be an advocate for clients. And I, I really appreciate your time today. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you again about uh, these cases as we uh, watch them uh, move forward in the claims process. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thank you for listening to the Personal Injury Law Podcast. I'm Jonathan Rosenfeld. If you or anyone you know would like more information on any of the topics on the podcast, please visit my website at rosenfeldinjurylawyers.com. 
If you like the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Please feel free to rate the show and leave a review. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.